Hi, everyone. I'm John Strausner. And I'm Berta Alexander. And this is Break Some Dishes, an Imagine a Place production. We're looking to places where radical change and transformation are happening. We're talking to people who cross boundaries of their disciplines to use design as a tool to solve the world's most pressing problems. Let's break some dishes. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Break Some Dishes. Today, we have a special guest that I know fairly well, actually. We've been, we've been Zooming together, uh, tr- scheming, trying to make plans, and um, she's been wonderfully generous in coming to one of my nonprofit organizations that I work with, Climate Reality Project, and talking about corporate responsibility and what corporations can do and what employee groups can do within corporations. And her name is Jennifer Allen. And she is the program director for an, a, an incredible organization called Climate Voice. She calls herself a climate champion. And she is working to get corporations to use their influence to address the climate crisis. And before that, I think this is really, your history is really interesting. You worked many, many years as a diversity strategist to help companies create inclusive cultures. So maybe we'll talk about that. But I would love to hear how you transitioned after 17 years, what seems like a complete transition or switch over to Climate Voice. Well, Verda, first, thank you so much for having me. And John, it's so nice to meet you. And that was such a lovely introduction. And as you mentioned, I had spent a really long part of my career focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And first at Catalyst, actually, which is an organization focused on advancing women in business. And then PwC was my client. And so I went from Catalyst into the firm to see how we could diversify our partnership and really take advantage of all of the talent that the professional services industry was seeing, but we weren't really making the partners to the extent reflect our associate population at the beginning of our career you know, trajectory. So diversity and inclusion is a fascinating space. I feel like it's endlessly relevant and important to the way we live our lives personally, to systemic bias, to how we think about the way the private sector operates. So I was quite happy and doing um, some great work with an amazing team. But in 2019, I read the book, The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells. And like many people who read that book, got totally freaked out about climate. And I started to think if climate change was the biggest issue of our time, sort of the fight of our lives, why wasn't I working on it? And so I just started looking for opportunities to get more educated about climate, to get more interested in it. And then I had the opportunity to meet Bill Weil. And Bill is the founder of Climate Voice. And Verda, I know you know Bill well, but I was so inspired by his vision that I decided to leave the firm and join this scrappy startup. And we are again trying to unlock corporate influence on behalf of the planet because we believe the most important change we can make is systemic policy change. And if companies were all in on climate policy, we could do amazing things. Yeah, I love Bill. He is such a generous person and has so much to give. And I'm, I, I, I'm jealous. I love the fact that you're that you are part of his I, incredible team. And I do think I'm thinking of an article that I I mentioned once before on a podcast about carbon credits and like what's the most impactful thing that you can do and um, boating 
and voting for candidates that are pro-climate as an individual are way more influential than any kind of carbon credits that you could possibly buy or use. So it's kind of the same idea, right? But but here we're amplifying. We're going from individual to corporations that have s- such a greater influence than an individual could possibly have. Well, and I think the, the one point that I'd love your listeners to really get is we need it all. Like we are in a crisis. This is an emergency. We need systemic change quickly. And, you know, Bill McKibben, uh, the iconic climate leader, is fond of saying that with climate, um, winning slowly is the same as losing. Like we're on a clock. Yeah. So we really have to transform the economy. We have to make big, big changes. And that's why at Climate Voice, we really believe that policy is foundational. There's lots of other stuff that we should be doing, but policy is foundational, which is why you're absolutely right that voting for candidates who prioritize climate is crucial. But getting the kinds of regulations and policies and legislation that we need is really crucial. And what we know is that the business voice matters in these things and that companies are lobbying for all sorts of um, things that are important to their businesses. And climate should be up there as a huge priority. Well, yeah. this goes back to, Verda, something that we've talked about quite a bit is I think when Verda, when you and I started the podcast, we were really looking at like a lot of individual problems, like, you know, are we using too much plastic and, you know, are we recycling? Well, all those rudimentary, very elementary issues that we think are affecting climate change. And as we've gotten more experienced and deeper into this conversation, I think we've both said, okay, all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's all coming down to federal policy. I just read something today where um, if like companies cut their carbon by 20%, it still won't make an impact. Yeah. The way we companies often think about it is sustainability is focused on your own carbon footprint in your own operations. And to be honest, those emissions are important. So reducing those emissions is critical. And sometimes in the field, people call them scope one and scope two. So scope one are your direct emissions and scope two is the emissions that you have when you buy energy increasingly companies are focused on scope three emissions, which is your supply chain, which is sometimes hard to measure, but also equally important. But for us, we use, um, we partner with a group called Influence Map and they coined the term scope four impact and that's lobbying. And so what we're saying to companies is all of that operational sustainability is great. Keep doing it. And one of the biggest influences you can have with your own influence is on the policy debates of our time. And I, and I do also think it's really important for people to recognize that the dominant business voice in the U.S. on policy are the fossil fuel companies. And that's why we haven't gotten the legislation that we need and deserve. And if all the pro-climate companies out there who want to be green, who want to stake their reputation on this, came up and stood together against the fossil fuel companies, again, they're a much, much bigger voice, which again is why we want to talk about raising your climate voice on these issues. I love that quote. I hadn't heard of it. Bill, Bill McKibben's quote, winning, winning slowly is the same as losing. And I think it's all about how quickly can we make change? And that all comes down to individuals, corporations making the biggest splash that they can possibly make, right? Absolutely. And again, it's about influence. And so what we're saying at Climate Voice too is we're talking to employees where, where, you know, employees are increasingly 
concerned about climate. They want to work for a climate-friendly company. They want to work for a company that has corporate values that care about these kinds of things. And our theory of change is if you as an employee pushed your employer to step up on climate policy, we could change the world. Um, so we're trying to unlock that that worker power, if you will, to say you can be an advocate within your company and say, I'm really proud to work here. I'm really proud that we have a sustainability team and that we're trying to reduce our own emissions. Let's use all of that influence for the big game out there, which is really changing policy. And to your point, we have some great news, literally hot off the presses from this weekend in terms of the Senate passing the Inflation Reduction Act. So we are on our way to making climate history. Yeah. And John, you wanted to Dig in a little bit on that. Well, before we do, though, um, I really am interested to learn how you empower employees. How how can employees make their employer do better? That's a great question, too, because and, and that's specifically what Bill and Jennifer have worked with me on. I'm part of Climate Reality Project's business engagement team, Bay Area. It's long, <laughs> very wordy. How do you wordy. put that on your business card, Verda? <laughs> I know. And I, I, we have a small core group, and we've been kind of going back and forth and struggling to figure out how, where to take steps because there's employees at every level of of the organization within our group or with any, within any group. And how does an employee say an employee that's maybe not at, at a managerial or, or VP level, how, how can they do something? Well, one of the trends that we've seen is employees have sort of self-organized around their interest in climate within companies. So in the same way that I saw, you know, diversity and inclusion groups and affinity groups sort of explode over the last couple of decades, in the more recent history, there really have been these green teams, sustainability councils, where employees who really care about this issue can come together, come up with recommendations, and sort of lobby internally with their leadership teams to do more. So often those groups also start at the sustainability of operations. So there's a lot of innovation and creativity that employees have sort of bubbled up in terms of ideas for how to make their companies more sustainable, more efficient, um, how to recycle, how to do all of those activities that are really, really important. But what we're trying to do at Climate Voice is then make the connection to the policy question. So, you know, the companies that we're looking at tend to be these really big influential companies. Um, we actually track, we have a scorecard called Go Time for Climate, and you can see the 21 companies that we've been tracking for the last 18 months in terms of their position on federal policy. And these include the big tech companies, you know, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, um, Alphabet, uh, Salesforce, HP, so some of those really big tech companies, and then some other iconic brands like Walmart and Pepsi and um, Nike and J&J. &J. And those are all companies that have a record of climate advocacy. So they actually have advocated for climate policy in the past. They have a score on influence maps matrix of 65 or above. They're huge. They're US-based. And again, their voice really matters on these issues. And so what I'm happy to report here is that four of our companies have spoken up vocally for this Inflation Reduction Act. And it really, really matters. So it's Constellation, yeah. Salesforce, Walmart, and Microsoft came up with public statements saying Congress should pass this now. And what the big companies know is they can't meet their own sustainability goals, their own ambitious climate pledges without policy. 
right? So there are so many incentives in this legislation to clean up the grid, to incentivize the purchase of electric vehicles, to create infrastructure that we need in this country. And those are the kinds of things that are going to allow companies to actually meet the goals that they've already set when they, you know, publicize in their sustainability report about how ambitious they're trying to be. Right. But, but give us, give us an example. If I work, and I know you just said Walmart has stepped up in support, which is great, but if I work for Walmart, what can I do to get Walmart lobbying for climate change? Absolutely. There still is, even despite the pandemic and all the craziness of the last two years, there's still a war for talent. And we saw it particularly with the great resignation, right? How much people are trying to keep great talented people in their organizations. So literally just raising the question. So first we ask employees to get together and find other like-minded colleagues who want to talk about these issues so they can raise them. Then we say, hey, if you have a town hall meeting, or an all hands call, whether it's with your function, your team, or sometimes these things are you know, company-wide and with the CEO, raise the issue and say, where do we stand on climate policy? If you want to be a little bit more advanced, you get and ask for a meeting with your sustainability leader and then say, hey, where are we on this? How come we're not out there doing more? The final thing that we do at Climate Voice is we try to feed employees information about what's going on. So what are key legislation that's happening right now? Where is a a sign-on letter that's a business-oriented sign-on letter that we want their company to sign? And can they push it from the inside while other um, NGOs are pushing it from the outside? Uh, We are definitely asking them to make noise, ask questions, be persistent, and do it all from the point of view of, I want to change this company. I want us to do more because it's good for us. It's good for the business. We want to be proud of working here. We're not, you know, um, adversarial in any way. We're on the same side. Let's take it up a notch. And I will say that, John, I saw from a diversity point of view inside PwC that when our employees came to us for stuff and in, when students came to us and asked us questions, leadership was on it. Like we had tons of discussions about this is what people are expecting of us. This is what leadership looks like. We're not going to keep getting credit for what we were doing before. And around LGBT equality in particular, we saw our employees come to us and say, we want benefits and services inside the firm. And then that evolved to, we want PwC to take a stand for marriage equality outside the firm. Because if we don't have our rights and you move us from you know, Massachusetts to Texas and my marriage won't be recognized, how is that going to let me have the kind of life that I need, right? And I want PwC to use their influence to take a stand, which we did. And we joined hundreds of other companies in signing amicus briefs for the Supreme Court, in signing business statements. Our CFO wrote an amazing op-ed about why marriage equality was good for business and that we, why we wanted consistency. And so, again, that voice matters. And, you know, climate has become this sort of polarized partisan issue, and we believe it shouldn't be. And when business speaks and says, this is important for our economic future. This is important important for our competitiveness, for our viability in the future. Like that can diffuse some of those political uh, dynamics, or at least I hope so. And that's why, again, having CEOs who understand the economic impacts of climate and why this crisis is so devastating when you look at the long term um, really matters. And I think this is probably a great time for employees to do that. They probably have more leverage than ever with 
everybody redefining work. It does seem like it's the moment uh, for employees if they're going to if they're going to take a stand and have a voice and be heard. This might be the moment for them. I think the problem is and that we've seen is that corporations will do one thing. They'll be they'll be saying, "Yes, we're we're aiming for net zero by 2030, super aggressive, this and that." And then and then behind the scenes they're either not supporting or even opposing legislation or like um, Bill's most recent article, they might still be part of an association that is opposing mm, legislation. There you go. So, so they might be doing the right thing on one hand, but then the other, the wrong thing on the other hand. So I think well, that's a I challenge. That is an insidious dynamic that we're really trying to focus on, which is that companies hide behind the negative lobbying of their own trade associations. And we were quite disappointed that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Business Roundtable, and the National Association of Manufacturers all came out against the Inflation Reduction Act over taxes, and they didn't like the revenue provisions, when again, all of those trade associations have even said climate matters to business and is something that we should be working on. But a lot of the companies that we've been talking to for the last 18 months, we have been pushing them to speak up early and they did and that mattered. And now what we know, Verda, though, is that we need to protect the legislation once, knock on wood, it's passed after the House vote. So it's plenty of time for business voices to get in. Like it's it's never uh, too late. We need, we need consensus to strengthen it. Don and I try to do a little bit of homework in advance of these t- talks. And he, <laughs> in that article uh, that Bill wrote, he had mentioned a few organizations, including the one we just mentioned and the Chamber of Commerce, but and like you said, the National Association of Manufacturers. And I was intrigued by that one because in our industry, there's a lot of manufacturers because the furniture industry is is large here and it's it fuels our designs, right? It, we need products to when we design our spaces to fill, to fill those designs. And I tried to find who were the members because one of, one of your campaigns is break up with your associations. And I don't know if you would also go as far as to say, try to influence anyone you can in your circles to break up with their associations. I was trying to see if I could find a member list and I couldn't. Yeah. So it, interesting the lack of transparency of these organizations. So the Chamber of Commerce does not have to list its members. They do list their board members, so that's public. They also formed a Chamber Solutions Working Group on Climate, um, which was several of their members who were interested in climate coming together, but there's no public list of those companies either. And we're actually using the tagline, Guilt by Trade Association. So we're trying to educate (laughs) employees about what a trade association is, like why are companies part of it, what it does that's positive, and the ways in which, unfortunately, they obstruct climate progress. Um, And again, the U.S. Chamber, I think it was almost two years ago, came out with a public statement saying that they did support Paris, uh, the Paris Agreement, and the goals that came out of there, and that they knew that this was an important issue for business, but their actions have never matched that rhetoric. And so again, at Climate Voice, we're trying to point out that gap between corporate, you know, rhetoric and then the actions that they actually take to support the kinds of policies and regulations we need to make change. Hmm. And we first, I do, oh, go ahead, John. I was going to say, we first heard about the Chamber of Commerce when we were talking to our good friend, Auden Schendler, yep. who pointed out this problem. With, and I was surprised by it because I've always looked at the Chamber of Commerce as like, you know, when you drive into a town, it's like, you know, this 
town's chamber of commerce welcomes you to right so i why why are they so against climate change well i think the us chamber of commerce tends to always say it's bad for business it's anti competitive because of the taxes or the revenue provisions and then they often sort of falsely say that it's going to kill jobs when again i think all of the analyses and all of the modeling of the inflation reduction act has pretty much said it's going to generate millions of jobs and that that's sort of what's so exciting about this level of investment um in terms of green jobs in the future so you know it's i don't know how they think about all of it but we feel like no one's held them accountable for being so consistently obstructionist and negative and that their actual member companies who care about climate and who have ambitious climate goals themselves should be distancing themselves from that position calling out the chamber generating much more dialogue i think and debate um they just sort of go along with it and there's too much silence and as bill while our bill likes to say you know silence is not neutrality it's really complicity when it comes to these things talk a little bit about can corporations really do the right thing because they're tied to capitalism and that's tied to profits it's tied to competition uh, accumulation of things consumption and we had a guest Ken Pucker uh, a journalist who who says the absurdity of expecting profit seekers like corporations and investors to solve the world's problems and it does seem like a bit of a catch 22 at the end of the day what do you think about that you know i think these things are complicated but part of why i had this long career at pwc and now i'm here at climate voice is because i do believe that the private sector can be a force for good i believe that we can align the incentives in such a way that they can act um in ways that they think are good for their business and good for the planet. I don't think it has to be so contrary. However, they do have to be regulated. And that's why I feel like they have to stand up for regulation that affects an entire sector or an entire economy so that the playing field is more equivalent and equal and then they all have to compete given those constraints. We definitely need regulation, we need investments, we need incentives. And that's why this legislation is so exciting. You know, this is where it gets politically polarizing because, you know, you've got one political party that is against regulation, they're against big government. They don't want the government to have its hands uh, in everything and and I kind of get that, right? But I think there's a case being made that regulation does help companies pursue and achieve their climate uh initiatives. Yes, and many companies said what they want is clarity, right? Like yeah. you want energy standards to be clear. You want rulings to be set. You want to be able to plan into the future. You know, Bill Gates did a great op-ed in the New York Times about why this um legislation is so transformative and he said it's really going to spur innovation because you need to know what the rules of the game are and where the investments are going so that we can create some of the technologies that we don't even have yet that are going to be critical to solving the crisis over the next 10 years. So I think um the challenge for business back to Verda your original question is sort of the short-term thinking. Like if you're only focused on quarterly profits, you're not going to be investing in the long run. You're not going to be looking at the climate crisis. You know, 2050 seems very far out there where on another you know scale it's around the corner <laughs> we better right. start doing this now or we're never going to meet the goals that we need to um achieve by then 
So I do think there's short-termism is a huge obstacle. I also think people just can't get their arms around the magnitude of the change that we need, right? We need to decarbonize at scale, like in big, big ways. And that feels overwhelming, I think, sometimes. I also think that different people are holding different agendas inside a company. So um, the World Resources Institute did an interesting analysis of what sort of how these decisions get made. And they said, you know, if different stakeholders like the government affairs team and the PR team and the sustainability team, and then, you know, all these other groups are lobbying internally for their own issue, sometimes that's why there's paralysis, like an inability to make a decision in time. A lot of moving parts. And then there's a lot of state policy. So, Verda, to your point, it's not just federal. You know, there's all sorts of state policies that companies are weighing in on or not weighing in on or concerned about depending on where they operate in the country. So yeah, I do think it's complicated. However, you know, again, the four companies on our list who did speak out sort of categorically were so happy that they did. And we were in dialogue with many of them about encouraging them to do so. And it really, really matters to have a consistent business voice. Who were the four? Did we already? Did we already yeah. Know? So it's um, Salesforce, Walmart, Constellation Energy and Microsoft. And I think it's so important to champion these at every Mm. chance we get, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think one of the things, Verda, you were talking about it when we were getting ready to to meet with Jennifer, and we, we were talking about going on websites, and it's really easy for corporations to hide behind their own greenwashing. If I'm a consumer and I'm trying to figure out who I want to buy goods from. What advice do you give people? Yeah, I think it is complicated, John. You're absolutely right. I think you have to do a lot of research. And, you know, greenwashing is so helpful as a concept because that's when they're really trying to get credit for things that they're not doing. I think the harder thing for us is we're talking about what they're not doing, to your point, like where they could be using their influence. So the operational stuff is really good. So, you know, these big tech companies, when you look at some of the things that they're doing to be net zero, to be um, carbon negative, you know, what they're doing philanthropically, the investments that they've made, these things are really great and important. And we want to applaud them. And we want them to lobby for climate policies. We want them to use their influence in Washington for these big debates where we're going to get the systemic change that we need. And again, it's just that scale question. Like we can't scale it up. You know, a lot of employees, when we talk to them and say, your company can do more, they said, why are you picking on us? We're doing amazing things, you know, and we're innovating right and left. And those things are great. And at the same time, we have to be fighting for this legislation and regulations. I feel like we've always been so careful and we kind of treat these companies with kid gloves. But at some point we have to, like people have to step up. We need government action no matter what. And I think that's what we all have to um, acknowledge. And I think that what people don't fully get sometimes is how much companies weigh in, in terms of what lawmakers are doing. And they are lobbying on all sorts of issues all the time. And they're talking to lawmakers and they are making public statements and they're coming together to use their joint influence you know, as an important employer or sector or whatnot. And so it is that we're all in this together. We need more of all of it. Um, I think one of the destructive things that Michael Mann talks about quite eloquently in his book, The New Climate War, is that that individual responsibility that you were talking about, Verda, basically undermined legislation. So there were these bottle bills 
across different states, basically talking about mandating a kind of recycling for uh, companies that did bottles. And instead they said, oh no, it's going to be individual recycling. You know, we're going to say it's your responsibility to take that plastic bottle to do whatever, because we don't want that kind of systemic change. And of course, they're just not equivalent. Um, right. so we, we need we need the public, though, to care enough about these issues to push all of the sectors of influence and to also make choices ourselves. I mean, I think I think we can talk about both and. And I think it's great to to just keep reminding people of these past campaigns and making sure people are aware of what corporations or really anybody can do to, to, to pull the wool over our eyes or, or distract us from the real problem. And it's so important. I feel like in the last couple of years, I've become so much more politically aware of what's going on and much more critical of what I'm looking at and reading. And I just think it's so important for all of us. Like I think we're in this, time where no one yeah. can sit on the sidelines anymore. Yeah, exactly. I think I look at our industry, Verda, and I think we have all these people that their heart's in the right place and their focus is on how do we make better decisions around the materials that we use? How do, how do we uh, create spaces that have smaller footprints? How do we help manufacturers or support manufacturers that are lowering their footprint? But nobody in our industry, Verda, is talking about legislation. I think it's kind of like that that problem. Like it's really ultimately a systems change that needs to happen, but that's can be so hard to wrap our heads around. So we so we keep coming back to what we know and what seems easy. But again, it's not going to be fast enough. One of the powerful things that Bill did actually when he was at Facebook and before that at Google was he went to the utilities and said, you know, we want to buy renewable energy as a company. We have these huge commitments that we're making. And the utilities sort of said, well, you know, we don't have a lot of renewable energy on our grid. You've got to buy what we have. So he spearheaded along with other colleagues over, actually it ended up being hundreds of companies, created the Clean Energy Buyers Alliance so that they could negotiate together. And then this association of companies came and said, look, we have aspirations to buy renewable energy. You have to get your act together to provide it. So I think that that negotiating within whatever domain you have is really powerful. Employees just have to remember that you have authority being an employee that your employer wants to retain. Voting as a citizen, you have power. People should be out there protesting. You have power. Um, but we need to raise these things in all the domains that we have influence. That's such a great reminder. And I think if there's one takeaway from this episode, I'd say let's look at where, where your areas of influence are and where you can make the biggest leverage for change, right? That's what we all have to be looking at. Tell us about your most recent campaign or anything we should be tuning into with Climate Voice. Well, please follow Climate Voice. Um, we have a series on our website. It's climatevoice.org. We have a series called Climate Voices, where we interview thought leaders who are sort of at the edge of solving the crisis. So we've had some fabulous speakers um, who you can listen to. Bill is very active on social media. Follow him on Twitter. He's on LinkedIn. Um, and keep the conversation going with the companies that you care about um, and pushing them to do more. We all need to be all in to solve this crisis.
Awesome. And personally, do you have something exciting coming up? We actually have a gala coming up in October. So Club Thumb was actually started by a college, a dear college friend of mine named Maria Stryer. She's the artistic producing director. And their big vision is that it's um, creative, innovative, funny work by living artists. So they only do, they don't do any, you know, uh, uh, free staging of old plays. It's all new work. And it's always very exciting. And they just celebrated their 25th anniversary, which is unbelievable that it's been around so long. But my big news is I'm starting a master's program in climate and society at Columbia's new climate school in September. So I'm going to continue working at Climate Voice, but going back to school. So I'm a little nervous about the homework, but very, very excited about the learning. Oh my God. Do you really need to take that course? I feel like you know so much. You could teach there. (laughs) Well, this has been a total apprenticeship, which taught me how much I don't know. So I am excited to learn from the climate scientists, all the other uh, insights and lessons that we need. All right. We can't wait to hear what you learn and maybe we'll have to have you back on after you've completed your... Yeah, Verda, then she's going to be way too smart. <laughs> and you know that rule. I know. I, yeah, you've been great. And I I am so impressed that you basically asked yourself, why am I not involved in this? Why am I not doing something? And you stopped everything and joined Climate Voice. That's a major disruptor. I mean, you. I just am so impressed with you, with your spirit. I'm, you're going to kill it at Columbia. There's no doubt. Thank you so much, John. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're going to be busy. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing what you do and can't wait to, to hear what more Climate Voice does and what more you do. Thank you both for this. If you've enjoyed today's episode, drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. To hear more trailblazers taking on the world's issues through the lens of design, visit us at breaksomedishes.com. I'm Verda Alexander. And I'm John Strasner. And you've been listening to Break Some Dishes. <laughs> <laughs>